thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today, my co-host Corey Walsh. Corey, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, I, I things haven't been that too hot too hot for me today. I had to get my tire replaced shortly after getting a new car last week, so it's it's a rough start. Well, damn. Yeah, that is that is a rough start. I got some beer here for you if you need something to take your mind off all that. Yeah, I hear yeah. you, man. It was a real nice uh, slap in the face. (laughs) Well, hopefully that gets better, you know. Obviously, we are here to talk some Cavalier basketball, but right off the bat, man, I got to get to some nonsense that's been put out on the airways over the past couple of days. Bleacher Report, man. Bleacher Report is just, I don't know what these guys are doing. They're straight blowing the Cavs lately. Uh, In the past week, we have seen their writers suggest the following. In a post-lottery piece by Zach Buckley, a trade package for Bradley Beal was suggested that included the Cavs sending Colin Sexton to Washington via sign-and-trade, along with Lowry Markkinen, this year's first-round pick, which is 14, we all know that, and an additional pick in 2025, all in exchange for Bradley Beal. So first off, Tell me if that deal actually makes sense for Cleveland. And secondly, tell me why you would or wouldn't accept this offer. I feel like my answer for both kind of intertwined. The reason it doesn't make sense for me, for the Cavs, in my opinion, is because when you trade for Bradley Beal, you're really expediting the timeline of this team to a point where it's like win now, pretty much. Because Bradley Beal, he's like what, like 29, 28, like in that range? So he's like a player that when you trade for him, it's kind of like, all right, if we're using Darius and Bradley Beal to be our main sources of offense here, it's, it's go, it's go time. And if we're trading away Colin Sexton and Lori Markkinen, that's basically trading away our uh, foundation two and our, our starting three pretty much. So that also then leaves a massive hole at the three for us at the same time, while also taking away the draft capital that we probably would use to draft that starting three. And then it just all becomes like number crunching and depth chart shifting to figure out who would take that spot. I I personally, I feel like it's like, all right, if we want to be the three seed in the East or something, then that trade, I guess makes sense. But I don't think that's what this Cavs team wants to do. I think it's way better. I think that team with, of Bradley Beal is traded to the Cavs this se- for next season as opposed to letting the team kind of stay pat the way it is, then I think it would make a lot of sense for us to just stay the same. I think the ceiling's way higher. Just stick with the homegrown guys. 
I mean, that's kind of where I'm at, too. And I get the appeal with Beal. He is definitely a star in this league. But the thing that always terrifies me about Beal, as you guys can see here, his stat line and, you know, his his general outlook over the past, well, really his whole career, actually. You can see a correlation here, and that is within the games played margin here. I mean, that to me is scary. Uh, when is the last time this guy has actually suited up for a full season? What 2018, 2019? What a year. <laughs> yeah. So uh, almost four years, almost four years since Beal has been able to suit up for an entire season. Now, a whole when, presidential term. <laughs> yeah, and and re- we know what today's basketball is like, man. I mean, I'm not going to kid around here and say, oh, well, you guys need to play every game. You need to play all 82. We get it. Guys like to um, – what is what is the term that they use for it? Uh, uh, rest. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I'm getting to here. Load management. There we yeah. go. Load <laughs> management. We see that as a common – thing now so we know that the likelihood of any guy going out there and suiting up for 82 is probably not all that high but you gotta give me more than 40 or 60 games a season that's just not gonna do it for me and it's not gonna make me feel like giving up Colin even if it is in a side and trade um Lowry who has made himself you know quite the piece for the Cavs maybe not everything that everybody thought he might but he is still a pretty valuable piece I feel. And then that first rounder for this year, man, like we we've talked a lot about how this may not be like a star late in draft, but it is definitely deep. And you feel you can get a rotation player in it in the middle portion where the Cavs are uh, or where they're listed. So I feel like that's a valuable pick. And then another another first round pick on top of that. So that's a lot to pay for Beal, in my opinion. That's just me, though. Yeah, no, I feel like Bradley Beal. This is no slight to Bradley Beal, but I kind of view him in the same way as I think people view Zach Levine and Donovan Mitchell in the sense where, yeah, he's a great regular season player. He'll score for you. But when push comes to shove, I don't know how much of a needle pusher he is for championship aspirations. I think he's like a nice name to fill the seats. He'll score his 20 to 25, 25 to 30 a game, depending on where he's slotted into the team. And that's that's another thing. Like, where does Beal – like, we know Beal's probably going to – would end up starting at the two, but who's your three at that point? Is it Karras? I, I guess it would have to be either Karras or Isaac, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and un, when it comes to Isaac, I'll put it this way. Like, I have a lot of faith that he's going to develop into a very good NBA player, but at six foot four – I think we know at this point that he is not a small forward. Um, I think that he his his best position is going to be that two spot. Um, I just do not see him being a starting three. That's just me, though. You know, would it be crazy to suggest that if that happened, let's just speak hypothetically, that Dean Wade would probably become the starting three? Because <laughs> somehow I knew you were going to say something like that. I don't know. I'm like, if they wanted to keep the tall three. For a three through five, it wouldn't be Kevin. You wouldn't. It, I, you wouldn't consider Lamar maybe in in that role. I, I. It's not that I wouldn't. I'm just wondering if like if that happened. I think JB kind of likes the defensive versatility that having the three do. And Dean Wade is a much better perimeter defender than Larry Markkinen is. So I think it would kind of it would be an upgrade defensively, but offensively, obviously Lowry is, I think more talented. I think it's fair to say he's a lot more talented offensively than Dean Wade is. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's totally fair to say. I don't think anybody would actually debate that as much as we love Dean Wade here. 
I'm uh, still mad you haven't come on the show, by the way, Dean. <laughs> yeah, I know you're listening right now, Dean, wherever you are. <laughs> At this point, we haven't called you out in a few episodes. So you probably think you're off the hook. You're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, just to play devil's advocate here, you don't see – like if they were to add Beal and give away Colin and Lowry, which we know are two definite rotation players, um, you don't see their ceiling being any higher than like a – you know, the three seed. Uh, I just have to ask myself, do I think that the Cavs, I'm going to say right now, the top two teams in the East are the the Bucks and the Celtics. Even next year, I would assume that probably stays the same. The Heat always will probably be in the top five. So I guess it's like, do we think we're better than the Heat overall by adding Bradley Beal? I feel like that's a lot closer of an, a conversation to have than to say that we'd be better than the Bucks or the Celtics. Cause I might even say that those two teams might be the two best teams in the NBA. That's fair. Um, that's, that's totally fair. I mean, we, we just saw Milwaukee win a title and although they got put out this season, um, I don't think you can question how good of a team they are, especially when you're talking about regular season. You yeah, know, if the Bucks had Middleton in that series against the Celtics, I a hundred percent think they would have won that series. It was very close of a series, even with, being down Chris Middleton and that Bucks team offensively was not mm-hmm. that deep this year. I'm right there with you, man. Um, completely agree. Middleton made all the difference. I mean, you wouldn't think that it would like have make or break that series, but it just goes to show you the importance of having like a, a secondary star uh, yeah, no. somebody out there you can rely on. Yeah. Like Pat Connaughton's a luxury for them in the postseason, but when Pat Connaughton's three-point shot making becomes a necessity for them, that's when it's an issue because then Drew Holiday goes from being the number three scoring option to being a number two, and he did pretty well against the Celtics. He had some games where he scored very well. Giannis is always going to dominate because it's almost impossible when the refs can't call every charge. He obviously (laughs) (laughs) commits. (laughs) Yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess. They were like, I, I knew that series was probably going to go downhill, um, you know, at that point with Middleton, with all that happening. But it just sucked to see them go out that way. But they're going to be a perennial threat any time they have Giannis suiting up out there. I mean, not in the regular season, though, against the Cavs. Obviously, they <laughs> they kind of struggle a little bit. But, you know, that's fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just wait till the Cavs return to full strength. All right. Back to the Bleacher Report nonsense we have here. So next up is a straight-up trade that includes Cleveland sending center Jared Allen, an (laughs) all-star, to Toronto in exchange for a wing OG Ananobi. Now, this one is honestly, like, ridiculous in my opinion. I, I, I honestly do not even know what to say in regards to that other than hell no. Like, what the hell is going on over there at Bleacher Report that they feel like they have to suggest this type of offer? And that is no disrespect to OG because OG is a fine wing in his own right. But you're giving up a all-star center who makes such a difference for this Cavalier team for a guy who has yet to really live up to the potential that a lot of people thought he might have. But I do want to hear your thoughts on that, man. I feel like the only logic that this writer had for this trade idea was that they're like, hmm, Toronto likes height. And it seems like every writer who doesn't follow the Cavs thinks that the Cavs want to just shift out Jared Allen so they can shift Evan Mobley into the starting center position. But if you watched like any Cavs games this year, you kind of know that Evan Mobley kind of fits more right now as a four. I think people look at Mobley the same way they look at Bam, where they think he could play like a smaller center that kind of still anchors a defense, but 
the two of them together are so formidable that I don't see any reason why the Cavs would ship out one of their top three players because of fit. Cause he, the, the three of Darius Mobley and Allen all fit together and it's been proven to work. I don't like, like you said, OG's a great player and yes, he would kind of help a need for the Cavs, but we'd also then lose a center. I don't know if this writer also knew that we basically have no backup five. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. And Moses Brown is yet to be resigned if I'm not mistaken. And he is not what you would consider a like a, a trusted backup center especially on the defensive end just yet he could get he could end up getting there but it, it, i certainly do not want to start the season as Mo, uh, with moses brown in the rotation and we've seen mobley face up against real centers like joel Embiid comes to mind and joel Embiid can kind of get where he wants to go against evan mobley but when jared allen's there it's a much harder like 25 for joel it's <laughs> uh as crazy as that sounds yeah that is 100 percent true you're never gonna completely stop joel but jared can make life a little bit more difficult on him yeah 100 percent. i don't know why writers I, i've heard on other podcasts too that they're saying how jared or mobley rather is uh should become the starting center for the Cavs within the next few years that just devalue what Jared brings to the table that's crazy to me man they act like Jared's impeding on Evan Mobley reaching his ceiling but it kind of gives uh Evan a lot more offensive freedom to play at the four and I think he has a lot of potential offensively that if we just limited him to being a center it'd be like we would just have uh, taking him out of the paint makes him worse but also offensively and defensively at least with some power forwards he kind of can just roam as free safety you can't have your center kind of operating in that same way because some teams are going to want their center to be back to the basket and they'll do that strategically just to remove that from Mobley's uh arsenal 100 percent. i mean as you pointed to both on both ends and to me what really would trouble me is on the defensive end like we think of Mobley as this very switchable guy who can step out on the perimeter and defend when he needs to. And we've seen Jared Allen kind of take on that task from time to time. But I would say between the two, you'd probably trust Evan to do that a little bit more right now. And if you kind of bumped him up to that five, one, you are still giving teams an opportunity to kind of put more traditional fives out there. And we've seen no disrespect to Evan. You know, we love the guy, uh, but we've seen bigger bodied fives be able to take advantage of that weight discrepancy. So, you know, that's that's part of the reason why I have such a big issue with Chet right now is just, you know, I just want to see the guy hold up. And I feel like for Evan's long term development, even if you're even if Jared Allen is no longer in the picture after his contract is over and they've kind of seen everything they want to see out of this pairing and they want to slide Evan over to the five for the rest of his career in Cleveland. um, I just think like for now, for the next few years, at least you need to see how far this core can go with those guys in their current positions when fully healthy. Yeah. Something that kind of ties into this that I don't know if you've been noticing, but it seems that a lot of teams in, at least in this final four can't really operate with modern centers though. So I feel like that's why a lot of this Mobley needs to start at the five. Cause when you play like a small ball rotation, Mobley on paper, makes sense to be the five because he can cover a lot of positions and he's very versatile, but I feel like what makes the Cavs, what made the Cavs so unique this year was they're going against the grain and kind of forced teams to reinstate their uh, normal 
back to the basket centers, not running like Draymond types at the five because there's not many Draymonds out there in the world. So you're kind of running like more PJ Washington types out there, trying to force them to play the five. Here's the the other wrinkle with that too is if you're shipping Jared out, you're sliding Evan to the five, and you're then putting Lowry back at the four, which. To be honest with you, man, <laughs> I prefer Lowry at the three now over the four, just because I feel like from a defensive standpoint and offensively, he's just not as physically imposing as I'd like him to be. No, yeah, defensively, know. the whole scheme would have to shift if Lowry went back to the four, because Lowry is no slight to him. He did throw a lot of effort this year defensively, but he it's did. also really good to look. It's really easy to look good defensively when you have two defensive minded seven footers protecting the basket behind you. All you're really tasked to do when you're Lowry marketing is put a hand up when they pull up a three. But if they go past you, you kind of like already admit like, all right, well, let's see what Evan and Jared can do. <laughs> yeah, you'd just be leaving a lot up to, you know, the Cavs and JB to kind of reconstruct their defensive identity on the on the fly. I mean, you're really just banking on them to be able to turn things around on that end with not having like the anchor of all anchors on the team uh in Jared. I just I feel like people just have been disrespecting what this guy brings to the table. I don't know, that's just me though. No, I agree. I think it'd be weird because you also need to, like you said, we're losing Jared. We're adding OG. OG isn't like an offensive, like firepower type player. So we're losing the identity of our team, which is our two seven footers pretty much. And then we're slotting in someone in at the three that, yes, our perimeter defense will be better. Our interior defense is worse. And I would argue our offense gets worse because him and uh, DG have a chemistry off the pick and roll that I, I that can't really be replicated because we even saw with Evan. Evan's not really one of the better players to set picks. Per se no, he's the not place. there yet. I mean, even the lob game, like you, it's there to a degree, but it's a different type of lob. It's like more pick and pop ish, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily straight rolls to the rim, as you saw with mostly jared allen and you know again you do not have a definite backup five right now which you know we'll talk about that a little bit later but it's just too many concerns with me like jared patches too many holes from you know and from so many aspects to to consider even remotely shipping him out without like an equal return and to me og no disrespect is not an equal return (laughs) yeah i mean if there was another trade for og like can I interest you in uh Jetty Osmond? <laughs> like <laughs> a Jetty Jetty well. in the last uh Jetty in the second second round pick for OG. I would do that all day. You know, I I you know, hand to God, I, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> like I twist my arm. I mean, do they need to, I, if you want to look Toronto for reasons why you should take Jetty, you can look at the first game where he played very well against you. I mean, uh, he does that <laughs> sometimes. Jetty can get hot. We know this. This this guy can cook. He's a microwave scorer when he's on, when he's confident. But at the same time, he's not consistent. We know that's like the one thing that defines has defined Jetty's career is the inconsistencies. And so I'm sure that Toronto has seen that <laughs> when scouting him. So I doubt that they would take that offer. If the second second round pick doesn't entice them on top of Jetty, I'm willing to throw in Dylan Windler. 
right. That's a done deal. <laughs> that, I mean, it breaks my deal. heart. I know the Cavs would be really hurt to let him go, but I'm willing to say on their behalf, Dylan Willer could be yours for OG and Adobe. You know, I'm generous. The price is I know. right. <laughs> the price <laughs> is right. Jeez, man. Um, just keeping <laughs> things moving along here. Bleacher Report has just been all over the place with some of these trades. I know you saw some of them. I know you've been chomping at the bit to really talk about some of these guys. So I'll let you take it away, my friend. Are we? Are, is it time for me to spill my love? It is. It, it is time for you to confess your love for Andrew Wiggins. Which is hilarious because, honestly, I think last episode we brought up Andrew Wiggins. No and I think intended. I think I dismantled him <laughs> on our last pod. Be like, how good is you? Andrew totally Wiggins? did. Yeah, you shit on him. <laughs> you shit yeah, on him. yeah, yeah. I did. You know, uh, some things in life you regret, and I now have seen the light of whatever Andrew Wiggins' like religion based is. Uh, the Warriors Mavs series to me has really kind of opened my eye to what Andrew Wiggins can be at his best version of himself. That being said, I was texting Mac earlier today, and I'm like, I got to be honest with you. I'm, uh, I feel like I'm falling for Andrew Wiggins pretty hard right now. And then I'm like, but at the same time, I can also make like a rational argument against why I don't want Andrew Wiggins on the Cavs because it, I tweeted this earlier. Yeah, I know, Doctor Claw. It's, <laughs> it, it's 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 tough in the my mental streets, <laughs> but it's uh, I get it though. Like there is like. There is some type of intrigue there with adding Wiggins back, but it would be totally dependent upon what it cost you to get him, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. I feel like the Warriors, I think they there already are rumors they're going to try to like move Wiggins while his stock's high in order to like I think I saw rumors for like a a, a 5. They like got to figure out what they're doing with Looney, I believe in pool. Um so they got to figure out future contracts and whatnot. The Warriors are so weird because you see them tied to like names like Rudy Gobert. I I have seen that rumor come up for them and I'm like how on earth does that fit with what they do? Like they at their best have Draymond at the 5 and uh-huh. we as we've seen in the postseason Rudy Gobert is not can't play in the postseason for like certain stretches of games because offensively he's like one of the most limited players in the league. Well, obviously they're up what they're up three one right. Mm-hmm. They do not need they're they're very close to another finals. They don't need Rudy. They literally do not have to do anything at all. It'll be just fine. But if they have to move Wiggins, then it would be because of contractual situations. Yeah, I also feel like Wiggins is in that weird space for them where you can tell the Warriors are in two parts of like their team. There's the rebuild side, which is like the Wiseman, Kaminga, Poole, and Moody side. And then it's the the golden years of Clay, Dre, Dre, and Steph. And you can tell that Wiggins is like dead in the middle because he doesn't really fit on either side. He's like 27 years old, so he's like right in that sweet spot. But- that's beautiful though. Like the like the, I don't know if there is another team in basketball right now that can really say like the same thing. Like they they I don't even know. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and just call it luck. Like, but at the same time, I don't even know how to classify this, man, because they still have their championship core, like you said. But those core players got injured enough for them to luck into being in the lottery again, allowing them to replenish the 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 roster and and bolster their ranks so they 
they literally can have the easiest rebuild in NBA history at this point in time with them just because of the way that they've set themselves up and the way that general management has. And they've been excellent, man. I just – I got to give them the – I hate Golden State. Let me, let me just be that that guy, to that Cleveland fan to go out and say, I hate Golden State, but I got to respect how they run their organization. Yeah, no, I feel like another underrated part of that Golden State rebuild – in air quotes is uh, that they got, they lost KD, but somehow also ended up with D'Angelo Russell, who then they traded away when he's like, you know what? This doesn't really work for Andrew Wiggins in a first round pick. And then the T wolves sucked with D'Angelo Russell anyway. And that turned into Jonathan Kaminga. So it's they got- not even fair. Like it literally is not even fair. The wealth of riches they've been able to accumulate and the guys that they've had come through their doors. Yeah. If you look at that trade on paper, that, Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kuminga got sent to the Warriors for D'Angelo Russell. I would like everyone would do that trade like nine times out of 10. <laughs> now, Dr. Claw, Dr. Claw for our video, for our audio listeners, who will be listening to this later on. Um, Dylan Wendler being a great player on the Golden State Warriors would be the ultimate slap in the face. He would. I, I said uh, to a friend of the pod, Dan, uh, who we had on two episodes ago, the, uh, we were talking back and forth about Dylan Windler, and I'm like, he honestly screams like someone that the Heat would just be like, you know what? This guy makes a lot of sense. A player who just heat will culture. stand in the corner. Yeah, Heat culture guy. Dan said Pacers guy. I think Dan, I'm not going to just say it. I think Dan just said it because he's a white guy. <laughs> but that's totally fine, Dan. I, I then re- responded saying maybe he's a TJ Leaf 2.0. <laughs> you know, I mean, he could certainly – Dylan has like some – he has an NBA skill set. It's all up here. We know this about Dylan. It's always been up in the mental side of things for him. Like take the damn shot. If you're still on the Cavs come the 2022-23 season, I swear to God, if I see Dylan Windler go zero for zero in in a game, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow up. <laughs> I I have to wonder what ver, like how much can Cavs fans blame John Beeline for the demise of Dylan Windler? Because summer league was a, a roller coaster. You thought we thought we drafted like the next. Larry Bird, it felt like at times watching Dylan Windler in summer league. And then uh turns out when you play your player in a summer league game for 40 plus minutes and the kid isn't the most athletically gifted dude on the planet that his knees will break. <laughs> and then uh Dylan Windler never comes back again. So thanks, John Beeline. You, you broke uh Dylan Windler <laughs> who easily was going to be top five. <laughs> He was supposed to be that next three and D guy. Like Dylan Wilner can still rebound at a pretty good level. He can play defense. We know these are things that he's capable of. We saw that towards the tail end of the season when he all but usurped Jetty Osmond in the lineup. But it's all about taking that damn shot. And I just don't see that. So I'm perfectly fine at this point saying no more Dylan. Uh no more Dylan for me. Uh trade him if you have to to acquire. Uh, another player and I just I don't know where you go with that guy I don't want to go off on a tangent here but it's just it's just one of those things man like just to kind of loop us back in here I do not know how the Warriors ended up with the 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 roster they have now and the assets they have now so um, I just don't know like what would it cost you to get Andrew Wiggins because I know from a financial aspect i think we both saw that you could you could 
get him for Karis LeVert and Jetty, but we know the Warriors are definitely not going to go for that. They're going to ask for everything. They're going to ask for the kitchen sink. It's going to have to be uh, LeVert, Osmond, the first from this year, and both seconds just to even start the the consideration. So what? Like, give me a a actual reasonable offer that we could make them, or do we even have anything reasonable? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Honestly, I can't see any offer that would tempt the Warriors because every kind of trade we could offer. Because I'm like, I, I'm not trading Colin Sexton or oh, no, no, <laughs> I, and they wouldn't want Isaac Okoro either. So those are the two players that are the most tradable on the roster. You wait. We talk about Dylan Windler being a being a serviceable player on the Warriors. Oh my God! I could imagine Isaac Okoro turning into Gary Payton 2.0. Well, Gary Payton the second (laughs) 2.0. However you want to term that, he could end up being like an All NBA level defender with them, just because he has to literally worry about nothing else but defending the best perimeter guy out there. So yeah, yeah, but I still don't see them being interested in Okoro. Yeah, no, we don't really have a, a good package for them. Honestly, I think Karis LeVert doesn't move the needle for them at all. But it's funny that you talk about um, like how Isaac on that team would look really good. That's my main concern with Andrew Wiggins. And I said this in a tweet I posted earlier. It's like you have to think that at most times Andrew Wiggins does look really good. But it's also because he's at best the fourth best player on the floor pretty much at all times because everyone on that team pretty much spaces the floor and allows Wiggins to take a lot of open shots or be attacking the rim with not much resistance whatsoever. Like, it's nice he's being really aggressive. Like, I think Reggie Miller says at least 90 times a game how this is the most aggressive Andrew Wiggins has looked in his entire career, which, no offense to Reggie, I don't know how many Timberwolves games you were watching in the early portion of his career. But at the same time, like, I, I don't see a way like the offensive package of the Cavaliers versus the Warriors is so drastically different that I don't think we would get the same player at all. So that's where I really have a strong hesitancy. Like you could just copy and paste what the Wiggins that we're seeing from the Warriors to, to the Cavs. Yes, that would make a ton of sense for this team. But I think when you look at his raw numbers too, he his numbers have skyrocketed especially from three since he's been on the Warriors. And that's solely because I think his he's had a lot more open shots. I think on the Cavs, teams would kind of zero in on him more, even though there would be Sexton and Garland. And I'm not going to say Levert because like Levert would have to go probably. Yeah. But for financial, like just, just for, for to make the money work. Yeah, I just don't see a way which Wiggins would fit offensively with this Cavs team, which like it sucks because – it, it would be nice, but we just we both know that the Cavs run a much slower type of offense than Golden State does, which also really limits what Wiggins could do. Yeah, it's much more free flow um, in Golden State, and I kind of feel like the Cavalier offense is much more deliberate, um, a lot more slow pace. And you see there, you know, we know our bread and butter is the pick and roll here with the bigs that we employ. So I just don't know, just like you, how that would work from an offensive standpoint. The ball obviously would probably not be in Andrew's hands, though. Like the the upside to that is that we don't have to worry about offensive production from the three. Like Andrew would be able to give you the best of what Isaac brings you at this standpoint from a defensive you know, into the floor and then the best of what Lowry gives you, which is 
uh, spacing and scoring. So I don't know. Like I get it, but to me, it's just not something that I see in the cards for the Cavs. And I just I don't think it would be a smart move on their end to give up a lot of assets to acquire a guy like that. Now, I know you had more in mind, so uh, so let me hear him. Uh, Mike Conley was another rumor that's been floating around. Uh, I, I have shot down Mike Conley thousands of times, I think, on this podcast. It comes up at least once every two. I think, I think Dan, once again, uh, was the first person I heard suggest it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like it. I th- if I'm remembering, Mac, I think we've done drive-bys. <laughs> we've done drive-bys on Mike Conley too, just like we did on Andrew. Oh, I, I feel like I kind of remembered you liked the Mike Conley trade idea on paper. I can't remember. I don't think I did. Like on paper, it makes sense. But when you're talking about like his age, for one, his injury history, and the fact that he just hasn't seemed to be that much of an impactful player in the postseason. Um, that that's a concern. That's calls for concern, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's tough to gauge Mike Conley at this point because Utah is so heavily dependent on Donovan Mitchell. I think he had, I think he has one a top six uh, usage rating in the regular season. I heard so Mike Conley when he was on Memphis had the ball in his hands a lot of the time. It was pretty much he would have it or Marcus Gasol would have it at various points to kind of facilitate and move the ball around. And so when you go to Utah where your main strength of ball handling and facilitating is taken away, I don't know. It's like, yes, it's probably some age with Mike Conley, but you could also say it's situation too. Like it's not an ideal situation for him to kind of step off of his strengths and just be looked at as like a relief player more than the initiator. No, that's completely fair to say. And one thing that we do need to keep in mind here with Mike Conley is that he essentially was a starter there. 72 games for them this past season. So it's not like he would be coming to the Cavs and put in that role. Completely different. If they were to acquire uh, Conley, he would almost certainly be taking that Ricky Rubio role off the bench. Um, Yeah, which does have high minutes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a role in which he could probably thrive in because he could run the second unit. Uh, but I just don't know how this guy would hold up. And I think from a financial aspect, you would have to give up Levert to get him if they were interested in that. So that's to me like losing Levert and adding an older Conley who just who hasn't seemed like he's dependable um, from a health standpoint and from a production standpoint in the postseason, which we know Cleveland is trying to get to uh, for the first time since I want to say the 97-98 season, um, the actual playoffs, I just don't know how much that would move the needle. Like for me, I get it. Lavert is only on one more year. Um, so you're going to have to kind of figure out what the hell you want to do between him and Colin because I just don't see a scenario in which they sign both long term. Um, so if you're going to capitalize off of Levert, who is, I want to say he's going to be 28 next year. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I guess that would theoretically be something that would be seen as a move to kind of push him a little bit further, but I don't know, man, I feel like you could, you would almost be better off not doing anything at all. Yeah, no, I, I just like the, the cap size for Mike Conley too, is very heavy. Like I, I'm fine paying Kevin Love. $30 million at this point to be on the Cavs, but having to pay Mike Conley, what I think I saw was 21 million 
Uh, that's I'm all set. Gotta be honest for a declining asset. It's not like if Mike Conley could ever be moved off again with that number, unless it was an expiring contract and even expiring contracts, I don't think are as valuable as they used to be because players don't really ever hit the market anymore. It's either they get traded before their contract expires or they just get moved towards the end of the deal. Anyway, it's, it's just a tough situation. I don't think Mike Conley fits a lot of like, it would be nice to have a starting level point guard be the backup like where he was last season. I would just even if it was Mike Conley versus Ricky Rubio, I would probably still take Ricky Rubio because I feel like at worst it's going to kind of be the same thing. Absolutely. We've seen the offense and how well it functions with Rubio. And the problem with Rubio that we all know now is that one we don't know if he's returning. We know he has indicated that he would like to. And two, we don't know if he does when and when he'll be ready to suit up. Um, it could be January, you know, December, January ish before you could even see him step back on the court. So that kind of complicates things uh, from not even just a contractual standpoint uh, for the Cavs, but from just a roster, you know, a rotation standpoint. Um, do you address the backup point guard spot? Do you allow if you get Colin back on a team friendly deal, which I, you know, I'm hoping for, I know not everybody sees it that way. Um, But um, you have to make a decision. Are you going to kind of ride things out and let Sexton kind of man that sec, even if you start Sexton, are you going to like do what they did in years past and which let, and let him operate with the second unit and kind of lead the offense and act as a pseudo point guard rather than really addressing it. And, uh, there's just a lot of things that the Cavs need to figure out in that regard. But in regards to Conley, um, I just feel like that would be a lateral move. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the more I think about Lavert, I just don't see him being on this team past this season. I don't see any way in which it fits anything. I would be I would if I had to give a percentage for what I think Lavert being on this team in 2023 the 2024 season is i'd say it's five percent like i would be floored if karis levert was a cavalier past this upcoming season i just don't think it's gonna <laughs> yeah it's, i just don't long. think it's gonna happen i think sexton is gonna be on this team for a long time and i don't i feel like it's kind of redundant to have both of them on the team i don't think it really yeah. hell it doesn't benefit anything to have both of them i think Colin, like we as we said is a more efficient karis levert less injury prone karis levert uh, I just uh, no slate against Karis. If Colin Sexton wasn't on this roster, then yeah, Karis Levert makes a lot more sense. Now Karis Levert is just tr- in my mind. It's can we build Karis Levert's trade value up to the point where we can move him for a piece that we don't already have on the roster? I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I like Karis Levert and I defended him a lot towards the end of the season, but that doesn't mean that I don't understand the fact that one Levert is from an age standpoint. Um, he is not necessarily what you would consider old, but he is older than majority of the players on this roster. So you've got a whole timeline thing there. Um, and I know people like to point to the fact that the Cavs need veterans and he is, mm-hmm. he does fit in that category, but one, um, you never really know in regards to his injury concerns. Um, and you don't know whether or not he's going to be a consistent, um, a consistent threat to go out there and give you production when the Cavs really need it. Uh, so, and especially if you have Colin back on the roster, whether it be for another year, which, um, I hope is not the case, but I would be okay with it. Um, just to get one more year out of him. 
um, at the very least. But if you do end up signing Colin long term, there's absolutely no way that you're going to end up keeping Karras past this year. You're going to do exactly what you just said, and that's build his trade value to bring in something that we actually need, like a backup center, uh, another wing, or even a backup point guard. And there was something the Cavs have really done well that kind of goes under the radar. It's that we've been pretty good at rebuilding players' trade value. Like, you think about, we got Alec Burks two seasons. I knew you were going to say that. That was the first name that came to mind for me. Yeah, like, you you acquire Alec Burks for, I think, like, just the throw-in part of a trade for a second-round pick. I think it was the return on the Jordan Clarkson trade, I'm pretty sure. And then we shipped him out shortly after in the same season for a first round pick. And I think like, I don't know, like JaVale McGee, another player that we then ended up flipping. Like we just traded a second round pick for him. We got two second round picks from Denver. We I certainly know. couldn't rebuild Andrew, um, Andre Drummond, Andre Drummond's trade value. <laughs> well, you know, that was just more of a risk that, to me. Like it was like, it had everything to do with the contract. Like, in my opinion, like if he, if he didn't have that player option that was so much during that period, he probably would have been movable. I mean, look at the what the Nets wanted him. They took him from Philly. You didn't have to include Andre Drummond in that trade if you really didn't want him. It wasn't like they were held at gunpoint being told this trade wouldn't work if you don't take Andre Drummond off the Sixers, please. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. The Cavs have done a great job at kind of like reclamation projects and then kind of getting some value out of them. Um, so I – I completely agree with you in that regard. Um, were there any other players that you really were considering the Cavs possibly having their eyes on? Uh, I saw Gary Trent had a little bit of traction going on for him. Gary Trent kind of intrigues me. I mean, I think he's a shorter three than I would probably like for this team. Uh, I think he's listed as six six. Yeah, I mean that that'd be that'd be good for the Cavs overall. But I think this is another one of those things like with Wiggins where the Cavs really just aren't in the position where they can offer these like enticing trade packages. And also Toronto is not going to be the first team to really take any Cavs trade offers as they're pretty much like our direct rival right now, I'd say in terms of where they are in their rebuild and where they want to be. Like we're both two young Eastern conference teams heading in the same direction. So why would they want to help us whatsoever? Cause any Hell trade no. uh, what's available for the Cavs would honestly probably all be a downgrade for the Toronto Raptors, especially cause they're so defensively oriented and the Cavs are uh, not because <laughs> we don't have any defensive players <laughs> at the wing. So in a way it'd be really nice for us if Toronto just decided like if the Toronto GM, um, Masai Ujiri just got drunk one night and decided to just accept a trade for Jenny Osmond for uh, Gary Trent. Who says no? I got a whole six pack of uh, Sam Adams over here that I'm going to send Masai's way to see if I can talk him into that. We'll see. Uh, be like, uh, hey, Masai, don't worry. I got some Keystone heavy for you over here. If you really want it, it's, exactly. it's all I can afford because, you know, times are tough. Inflation's brutal. Yeah, so I was actually wrong. He's listed at 6'5", so he's actually smaller than that. And I don't know, like, to me, that kind of indicates more so two range. Yeah. Um, which I guess you could probably play him in some some spots at the three. But I just don't see him being, like, a fit there. Like, we're, we're really leaning into this super off-balance size thing. Like, we have a back court, and then the front court is, like, this – when you start with the three, you have a smallish three, and then you have two bi- and two seven-footers. <laughs> 
So it just doesn't make any sense. But it, I guess it is at the same time. It's kind of balanced. Um, yeah, but, and the law of averages, but like otherwise, it looks like a human growth chart <laughs> starting <laughs> at Darius and just going up. To yeah, Darius and Colin are both at six one, if I'm not mistaken. And then you you got Gary if you're starting him at the three, and then Evan and Jarrett. But at the same time, you have to look at what you'd be giving up to get Gary, which I just don't think is uh, a good, really a good offer can be made for him that would help both teams. Um, yeah. But the packages I, would have to be like a Karis and a first or the Jetty and a first or the three of those together. That's like the most enticing package. I think the Cavs would probably be willing to offer. I mean, maybe they throw Isaac in if the player had a higher ceiling than the players that we've been mentioning. But with all these players, like you kind of know they're at their ceiling right now and their ceiling is a serviceable to above average player, but it's not anything that really like moves the needle. It just solidifies more of the rotation for the Cavs and kind of put some pieces more clearly together. Yeah, I mean, that's completely where I'm at with Gary. I think, like, from when you look at what he brings to the table, he's a very good defender, and he can put the ball in the basket. And guys like that don't often come available uh, without paying a pretty penny for him. That's why we've, we're talking about Andrew Wiggins. Um, you know, we're talking about Gary Trent Jr. Guys like that just don't become available that often without having to pay up for him. And so for the Cavs, where's the real benefit? Because you're sacrificing assets, which you don't really need to do just kind of stay the course and, you know, make the draft pick at 14 and maybe one more in the second sign some sign a vet or two. And you're right back at it, man. Yeah, Mac, a uh, great transition here with uh, bringing up the draft prospects. <laughs> I've, uh, I've been thinking long and hard because, you know, Mac uh, has been grinding his ass off on these uh, YouTube scouting videos, which Thanks, if man. you haven't seen them yet, they're fantastic. And they're, probably like my main source of getting my uh, draft information. So maybe I'm a little skewed in Mac's uh, <laughs> view of prospects. Cause you know, this man is never negative. So We're all these prospects here. are fantastic, <laughs> but I, uh, I wanted to put Mac's mind to test here and do a little uh, addition of keep trade cut here. I didn't oh, tell man. Mac any of this stuff beforehand. So you're hearing it in real time as he is. Here so, we go. <laughs> Yeah, this is. Uh, let, let me take a sip of my drink before I, before we get into this. Yeah, so this category I have is for a prospect when you're looking for the highest upside. Like if this is all Cavs oriented. Like I want you to think as if you're the GM and if you're the Cavs. So I kind of feel like I know my answer because this is Max Holy Son here. But uh, the three prospects for keep trade cut for prospect with the highest upside. Tari Eason, Dyson Daniels, or AJ Griffin? Keep trade cut. Golly, keep trade cut. Okay. So after, bear in mind, people who are listening to this and watching this, my viewpoint on these guys is changing day to day. As I'm sitting here doing the content that I'm doing, you know, trying to video scout here, (laughs) I cannot consider myself a real scout. Um, But what I will say is this, the guy that I feel like has the most potential, the most upside to me is Tari Eason. Um, I have to go with that. If I'm going, you said we have to keep one and then cut one, right? After that. Keep, trade, and cut. So it's kind of like one, two, and three. Okay. Um, So I'm going to trade 
AJ Griffin <laughs> because we just don't know enough about him from a health standpoint. Um, there is serious consideration um, or serious thought behind the fact that he could potentially fall. And I think you, when you were texting me earlier, you kind of pointed out to the fact of AJ possibly um, being like a Michael Porter Jr. ish type of fall, um, which we, for those of you who know Michael Porter Jr., you know, at one point he was being considered to be like the number one overall pick at a certain point until the health concerns. So, yeah, AJ, got to trade you. Um, and obviously that leaves Dyson Daniels. Why, uh, what made you have Dyson be at the bottom? Because I see a lot of teams uh, or a lot of people are really high on Dyson, especially after the combine. I think he really stood out, they said, with his like physical attributes. This is more so, like this is not like a slight against him. Like my only thing with Dyson is I feel like after seeing what I've seen from him is one thing. He's going to need the ball in his hands to be truly effective early on. Like his three point shot is heavily inconsistent. He's capable of it. He can knock it down, but it does not come with enough consistency for you to feel confident in him to be like a, a spot up shooter or somebody who can, uh, you know, stand out on the edges and wait for like a drive and kick from Darius or Colin. Um, I feel like Dyson would obviously need the ball in his hands to be most effective. And could he do that if drafted at 14? Yes. But what does that mean? I feel like that means that one, they might pivot away from actually bringing Rubio back or a like a, a true point guard and let Dyson do what he does best, in my opinion, and that's facilitate um, and, and, and kind of defend out there. Like he's got some unique um, defensive versatility, but I just feel like when you're talking about this group of guys like Tari – Nah, man, he he uh, he's got the size to be a pretty elite defender. He can hit the three ball, and he is obviously more consistent than Dyson is. And then with AJ, like we said, there's just so much shrouding him in regards to his injury history. Yeah, uh, like real quick, I I don't have the in depth analysis that Mac does, but based on like I feel like I would say I'm like the average NBA fan reading about these players. Mac obviously goes a lot more in depth. I'm just the guy who watches like max videos and i read a few articles to kind of generate my opinion on who i think i feel like aj griffin to me is really standing out as like a, a really high ceiling type player from what i've been reading it seems like he would be top easily top like eight if he wasn't like such an injury risk That's and fair. obviously people are probably scarred by the michael porter experience because of his medical i i've heard like multiple times that michael porter had one of the more like biggest red flag medicals by any draft prospect in a long time. And I remember I was really pissed when the Cavs passed on him, but I really wanted him instead of Colin Sexton. Cause I had to be honest with everyone. I didn't really know who Colin Sexton was before we drafted him whatsoever. I just was like, oh. not that, not the Alabama three on five game. You don't well, remember yeah, I, I remember that. I just didn't remember like, like anything else <laughs> outside okay. of that. I'm like, we're taking the guy who looked really good on a five, a three V five. But uh, for a rebuilding team, I was like, we might as well just take a massive swing. And the Cavs were a complete limbo at that You're, point. Um, that's fair because I, I in that draft, I kind of too remember being like, you know what? Michael Porter keeps falling. Um, Colin was there. And I'm like, we heard that the Cavs kind of had interest in Colin, um, you know, at that point leading up to the draft. But Michael Porter Jr. could have been had as well. And I was I was kind of there, too, with wanting to select him. 
Yeah, but as we have gone over in past episodes of the pod, uh, I'd probably be the worst Cavs GM of all time because I also wanted Denny (laughs) Denny Advia at the same point. See, I'm not going to excuse myself here either because, you know, we even talked about in the last episode that at a certain level I did want the Cavs to draft. um, uh, Mr. Toppin? Yes, OB Toppin. (laughs) See, he's so memorable that I can't even remember his name off the top of my head. <laughs> whenever, uh, whenever we're talking about him, but yeah, so I'm I would never want to be in that position. It's just especially in this year's draft where it has, um, and I know we kind of mentioned this uh, previously. This has every bit the possibility to turn into a 2013 type of situation because there are guys at the top that have star level potential. Shit. <sighs> Paolo, you know, there's there's a couple of guys here that we could consider to have star level potential. And then everybody else is like, to me, like a tier down, but mm-hmm. can still, this is still a really deep draft. Wait, this might be breaking news. Is, uh, is Chet Holmgren in your top tier? For this draft, in regards to potential, he is. The, like the biggest thing for me, for Chet. And I've not been shy about this. And I'll continue to stay the on my ground. <laughs> it's the fact that I feel like he's a damn twig. He's got to put on some weight, like put on 10 to 15 pounds. I'll feel better about his NBA future. But from a potential standpoint, loads of potential. But I, I did not like – did you see his comments during the lottery? I didn't like that. Uh, can you remind me? I might have – I, I I don't really I know he was interviewed by like Grant Hill and I thought that was really random. But what what did he say exactly? I do not have the direct quote off the top of my head. I can try and look it up here as we're talking. No, uh, it's it's totally cool. Uh, you know, I'll talk about how Doctor Claw thinks he looks like Poku two point oh. No, <laughs> he's Poku point five, Doctor Claw, uh, because Poku is a player with massive untapped potential. <laughs> All right, I'm tired of this Poku slander. Poku slander. <laughs> all righty. So all I know is is that Chet, you know, he obviously thinks high of himself, and I do not think that this is the exact quote, but I know he believes in himself enough to know he believes he can be a 50, 40, 90 guy. Um, and you want guys to to say these things, but I just feel like there comes a point where you just got to kind of like, just get to the league first. Like, you know, people have these and I get both sides of it. People are taught people such as myself <laughs> are saying that we have valid concerns and valid in my opinion, but we have concerns about your weight, about your history. But one thing, and I think Dan said this last time that we had him on, the guy has had these concerns at every single level and he's managed to, you know, circumvent them. But at the same time, this is the NBA we're talking about. These this, these are the big boys, you know. So, it's you just gotta hush all that talk up and just get into the NBA first. I gotta say, biggest winner of the pod, definitely Dan. <laughs> He's been brought up like five different <laughs> yeah. times. Uh, uh, Him sorry. and Doctor Claw, yeah, yeah, Doctor Claw and Dan, the two winners of the pod. Biggest loser, my uh, me and Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> the love <laughs> Dylan affair. Windler. The love <laughs> affair. Yeah, Dylan Windler's up there. He's a close. He's a Dylan Windler is this pod every episode's biggest loser. <laughs> he takes drive-by shootings more often than anyone <laughs> that ever comes up in this pod. Oh man, yeah. So, um, did you have any more of your crazy scenarios? 
Yeah. Uh, keep trade cut. Biggest question mark that you would be willing to make a swing for Uzman Dang, Nikola Jovic, or Jeremy Sohan? Um, number one, uh, keep Nikola Jovic. Um, I like the spacing in the facilitation that he provides. He is an, also another guy to me that kind of has some um, some body issues in regards to weight. Um, I feel like I would need to see him add some some muscle on to be uh, a capable defender against NBA fours and fives. But there is like so much underlying potential with him, and I some of that has to do with the fact that he is playing in a pro league uh, in a pro league right now. Um, which to me is is a leg up in, in terms of NCA versus like G League or Euroball. Um, it's I feel like that kind of gives you a bit more experience in 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 my opinion. And I feel like just what I've seen from him, um, you know, the content that I put out on him, he's got some facilitating that he could be able to bring to the Cavs. He can space the floor, so to me, like he could give you what Lowry gives you. He literally could give you what Lowry gives you right now, but. I just don't know how that would translate to the NBA, but I will step out on a limb and say I would keep him. Um, trade, probably Usman Dieng. Um, he's got a lot of potential. I will say that, and I feel like for what the Cavs kind of need right now, man, he could fit that. But I just I have too many reservations about him actually realizing that potential. Like that's the thing here. We we keep saying this, like, oh, we need to get we need to get a guy who could potentially fit right in and supplement the Cavs core members and add something. We can't afford prospects, you know, long-term prospects. People go either way with this on a day-to-day basis. And for me, it's like, uh, I kind of want a guy who kind of fits somewhere in between. And that's like why I like Tari so much, because I feel like he has a skill that will translate well to the NBA. And that is one is defense. Um, and he can shoot the three ball. Um, does, in your opinion, I don't know how much you've seen of Usman, but does he have one NBA level skill right now that you would feel comfortable trotting him out over like Lamar or Dean? No, the the crazy thing about Usman is that I've even heard rumors that if you draft him, teams might just keep him in the Aussie League again. Or draft and stash. Is he in the Australian League? Yeah, he is. Right, he's on the brink. The NBL, sure. It, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard they might just keep him because if you draft him, you have to buy out his contract, and most teams probably wouldn't even play him because he's such a raw prospect. And like you said, Mac, I don't think there's any. NBA level skill. I think there's the potential. He's like a master of none. Like he's like decent at a lot of things, but you could kind of mold him into what you want him to be. I feel like because it's not like he has a set thing that really stands out. Like he's just a freakish athlete who could, he has an NBA body if it filled out pretty much. And he shows enough of every other skill set to make you enticed. It's precisely what he is. And that's why, like, I'm not – if the Cavs end up selecting him, I'm not going to beat them up in regards to that pick because, again, <clears throat> you want a guy who kind of showcases, like, the middle ground of this. But you you can also be okay if you're kind of drafting a guy and kind of letting him figure things out on the bench, learning, observing if you have to, especially if you're able to kind of get guys healthy like Colin, um, you know, get them re-signed. So, I mean, there there is a chance. There is a slight chance that whoever is drafted doesn't play day one. Um, there There is that opportunity. 
because the Cavs at that point have to make a lot of tough decisions in regards to their rotation. Uh, so yeah, who's who's the third guy you listed? Um, Jeremy Sohan. Yeah, I I'm not really high on him. Like I I get the appeal, but I'm just not as high as everybody else is. And I I think that Chris Fedor had reported that the Cavs do have interest in him. Um, I'm just not as high as everybody else is, man. Yeah, friend of the pod, Evan Damerall also seems to be very high on Jeremy Sohan as well. A lot of like NBA writers and insiders seem to really like Sohan's level of defensive tenacity and athleticism, which for this Cavs team does make sense for us to have a defensive oriented player. But at the same time, we're seeing with Isaac right now that it just like not where he it just he offensively he's a project and do we really want two offensive projects that have are kind of starting from ground level and trying to build them up exactly and that's why you know that's why like i have no nothing against any of these prospects because they all have pretty good potential i feel but when you're talking about picking you know in this range right now you really need to be thinking about one, how long is it going to take this guy to potentially develop an offensive skill set? And how long is it going to be able, how long is it going to be until you can actually contribute in that area? So I feel like of those three guys, Jovic is like number one in that category. Yeah. So my last category is a player you most believe will drop to the Cavs in the draft. Now, this is just more about like it could be random. It could be gut feeling. But as we know, like so many players are gotcha. quote unquote rising. I got you right now. <laughs> uh, uh, like, uh, we, is this listen- in the first round or like yes. period? Yeah. Okay. But if I like, I'll give you the three names I have. But if you feel otherwise and you have a name that stands out on top of what I'm giving you, you can also throw that name in. But the three names I got for you are Johnny Davis. Benedict Matherin and Shaden Sharp. Of those three guys, I can confidently say that uh, Shaden Sharp. And I say Shaden Sharp because little is known about Shaden Sharp. Um, everybody knows that. I mean, does he have a super high ceiling? Yes, but look at like what's the level of competition that he's played at in the last two years. So you know, did we see him against NCAA competition? I don't think so. He's he's out all year, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so you really just don't know what he could bring to the table. Um, so he could fall for the same reasons that Michael Porter Jr. Fell, uh, for the same reasons that, um, I'm spacing out here. We just talked about him, but we, there's a couple of guys who could really fall. And I feel like Shaden would definitely be one. I don't think he'll fall to 14. I don't think he falls outside of the top 10. Um, but I could definitely see him falling. So if if he did, I would really think about selecting him, definitely. Yeah. And I, I and I know that that would probably signal that maybe the Cavs are okay if Colin walks. Um, but there's just so much discussion in regards to that. I don't know. Um, for me, I'm going to throw two scenarios out there because this is something I put out the video today. But this is something I've been thinking about for a long time now, and that is one we know that. Um, right after that lottery, like the one of the first post mocks that they put out was Malachi Branham at 14. And we know like he has offensive firepower. If you're looking for a guy who can drop the three ball, he is your guy. But from a defensive standpoint, um, you know, he has not 
what a guy like Ochai Akbaji would be. But if you got Malachi at 14, that solves your need for scoring off the bench from the wing. Now, another interesting thing here to keep in mind is that we have heard a lot of talks of um, fellow Ohio State Buckeye EJ Liddell potentially falling in the first round. Now, here's what I propose. And those of you who watched the video know what I'm about to say. <laughs> if if um, if Liddell does end up falling towards the mid to late 20s, Cleveland needs to do everything in their power to trade up to acquire him. And here's why. He solves the need for a backup five. And get, you know, for those of you who didn't watch a ton of Ohio State basketball this year, I want you to take into account some of these things that I'm about to say. First off, Liddell is six foot seven, but he played so much center at Ohio State that you wouldn't even realize it. Six foot seven, and this guy led the Big Ten in blocks. 2.6 a game, I believe, that he had rejected. And these weren't just like some opportunist, uh, just lucking into some bad shots that people were chucking up. No, he is rejecting shots with authority. He is sending them back, and he wants you to understand that you're not going to score over him. He did this, led the Big Ten in blocks over guys like Keegan Murray, Pete Nance, and we know we would love to have Pete Nance with the Cavs due to familial uh, ties. Um, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, he led the Big Ten over guys like that. So there's your backup five right there. He's a small ball five, but he can morph into the wing too. Like he is switchable enough to go out there and give you some good minutes at both the three and the four if you need him to. And he can defend like at the drop of a hat. He's plug and play. So if the Cavs can go out there and throw it together a package, maybe like, a, and I hate to say this because we've already beat on the guy. <laughs> Already like once or twice the episode, but if you could put in a deal like both seconds, and I'd be perfectly if you're getting EJ, the second, uh, the first and second, second round picks, the 39th, and I think the 58th pick is what it's still listed at, and Dylan Wendler. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> to move into the you know, into the fringe areas of the first round, you do that all day. Like if the the farther that Liddell falls, I really feel like the Cavs need to take a swing on him. Like take a swing on possibly acquiring him via the draft because he would solve so many needs. And I ask, I'm going to ask you this question. I really want your honest opinion on it. Did you like? I don't know how much of EJ you watched this year, but do you think that if you drafted EJ, he could legitimately get minutes over Lamar and Dean? Uh, that's tough to say because I feel like even <laughs> it, it, it does seem like it's easy for Lamar and Dean to get minutes over each other, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I really think it depends on game type situation. I want you to keep this in mind too. I don't like, um, I don't know if you've seen his stat line, 19.4 points a game. And the guy has some, he does have some offensive issues, but 19.4 points a game. He can score. I mean, I know for a fact that Mac is very much the president of the <laughs> EJ Liddell fan club right now. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid right now. But, I, I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, even if you got Ochai, 
Like you get Ochai at 14. You got your guy who can play both ways. And then you go out and maybe like the fringe area of the first round or the early stages of the second. If I mean, I so God help us if he falls <laughs> to the second round, you got to move up to get him because he would answer so many questions. If you get Obagia or Eason at 14 and then you get or Branham, you know, as I said earlier, if you get one of those guys, really consider getting EJ. Like I'm telling you, man, like he would he would honestly be a better player a better fit than anybody else you would pick with the 39th pick or the 58th pick. Johnny Juzang would have something to say about that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but let's just also say that if I, both Branham and Liddell get drafted, that I think Mac had, would officially leave the podcast and go to heaven. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know if people know. Uh, Mac, why don't you just say what college basketball team you root for, just for uh, you know, just for coincidence's sake? I am gonna plead the fifth <laughs> on that one, my friend. <laughs> nah, you guys know, like if anybody really knows me, knows that I'm a huge Ohio State Buckeye uh, fan when it comes to both football and basketball. You know, as a, as a Buckeye, as a, as an Ohioan. I feel like, you know, that's just, that's okay. You know, I do have my UD ties. <laughs> I do have my UD ties being from Dayton, but I am an Ohio State man through and through. So, yes, maybe it's a little biased, but I don't give a damn. <laughs> what if you could have Draymond <laughs> on, the, ah, on the Cavs, but he went to Ohio State, so he's infinitely better? If this was 2K, <laughs> like we talked about, 2K, Draymond is always available. That's true. He's always in trades. Versus Golden State clamping him down with his max deal before you could even. I could trade Lowry for Draymond right now, (laughs) right now, because the dude is always in uh, in trade finder, like we said the last episode. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I might be drinking the Kool Aid here a little bit, but I do feel like there are like there is a serious consideration or at least serious thought should go into possibly getting Liddell the further that he falls. And but let me be honest. I feel like Liddell is going in the early 20s. To the Cavs. Somebody <laughs> actually suggested earlier to me, and I looked at that myself. I looked at it myself um, to kind of think about how it could work is the Spurs. You know, they have two picks, I believe, in the uh, in the first round. And you could potentially for me, like, here's my question for you. Cause I know we we're we've been on for a while. We probably should get out of here soon. <laughs> but um what would you think about the Cavs trading back? Do you feel like like if they move like to like the 16th or the 17th pick, do you feel like they could still get somebody worth taking? If the Cavs trade back and obviously they believe it's the guy that they're interested in, it will still be there. I don't think they'd give up the prospect that they're looking at currently at 14 just to uh just to move back cuz I don't know what assets that you would necessarily acquire. By just moving back, like what would they for two spots specifically? Also, like what would they give us a second round pick, mm-hmm. an additional second rounder? But it, it just totally depended upon like where that second rounder is. Like if it's like another second rounder in this year's draft, that's possible ammunition at maybe moving up in this year's or next year's draft. Like you could potentially throw three second rounders at somebody and maybe entice them to like the thirtieth pick in the draft. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like with this Cavs team, 
Um, I feel like past this year's draft, the draft is going to turn all these draft picks for the years to follow are going to be more assets than actually putting names to selections. Well, that too. Well, yeah, yeah. That just furthers the point. Like if you trade back and you get acquired an additional first and an additional second round pick, that's ammunition that you could use in a trade further on down the line in the off season. Yeah. Um, I like, I I think it has to be situational if I'm being honest, I, I feel like if you're going to move back two spots for a second round pick and risk possibly a team trading up to take the player that you're looking for, um, then I just feel like it's just safer to take who you want at 14. But that's just me. No, that's perfectly valid. I, To be honest with you guys, yeah, like I do not see the Cavs moving back, and I don't think they need to. But it's completely, um, as Corey said, situational, um, completely dependent upon how the draft is going. Like we could see anybody, like any of these top guys fall down. And um, maybe the cast and maybe they face a situation in which they have this guy on their board. But guess what? One of these top 10 uh, rated players falls down to 14. And then it's, well, what the hell do we do now? Um, I could definitely see that happen. And I, I bet your ass it will. You know, <laughs> um, I'm going to guarantee that some crazy thing is going to happen in which forces Kobe Altman and company to make a last second decision. I want to know who's going to take the Tyrese Halliburton slide that will blow <laughs> up Twitter because that that's always fun to see the one player that gets ap- not for the player could himself. Be but it, it really could be Shaden, man. Yeah, I've been also seeing like Johnny Davis too, so that'll be it'll be interesting. I think like Ty Ty could probably make a slide too. It's going to be someone who's I think it's it always seems to be a player who's like in the top 10 of a lot of mocks, like seems sort of consensus, like locked in that makes the slide. Yeah, definitely. I um, mean, look a little further than the NFL draft. I mean, um, the, Oh my God, I'm, I'm now, I brought up the freaking subject and now I can't even remember the dude's name. Uh, the kid from Liberty Malik Willis, like yeah. Malik Willis was mocked in the first round in every draft you saw. And the kid didn't get drafted until the third round. Like these experts they know a lot, but like you're not in the brain trust of these organizations. Like not every team thinks the same way that these analysts do. No, a lot of like there we, we talk about groupthink in sports when it comes to like a general management standpoint a lot, but sometimes that's just not the case. Um, we really don't know how highly guys covet certain prospects in in any sport, so you never really know what could happen. Um, one last guy that I'd like to kind of, you know, throw a possible scenario out there is Jalen Williams. Um, Jalen Williams is a guy who's really, really grown on me in the last couple of days. And he had a very good combine, if I'm not mistaken. And that's kind of caused his name to kind of be put out there. Um, for him, I feel like that's a guy who kind of fits the mold of like he, he doesn't necessarily fit the mold. I guess that's a bad way to put it. He's in the middle. Like he he's he's kind of towing the line between a guy who could potentially help you right now, but does not necessarily do particular anything well enough that you could possibly put him out there over more established players like Lamar or um, or Jetty even. Um, he's also a guy who has p- pretty high upside, but again, it's a level of competition thing with him too. Like he did play. And I think what can be considered a mid-major school, Santa Clara. So you, there's always that level of concern with him. 
but you guys should definitely go check him out if you haven't already. I, I have some content out on him. There's obviously a lot of more breakdowns that you could probably look out on him as well, but definitely do your due diligence on him because I feel like that's a, that's a player that could potentially end up in the Cavs' hands. Yeah, if there's a team out there that has – like the thing about the Cavs is they're the team in the lottery with the least to lose by taking these swings. So that's what the luxury, I guess, of being at the back of the lottery is. It means that you were really close to making the next step. So you necessarily whiffing on a project player won't really kind of veer you off the path you're already heading on. It's more of like a, an, a, a bonus more than anything. Exactly. You are like spot on with that. At this point in time, um, we want the Cavs to hit on this. And by all accounts, I feel like they will because Kobe has few misses. In regards to the draft, even like even when you factor in guys like KPJ and Dylan, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you factor in eye roll, uh, when the you factor in Belmont. those guys, like <laughs> KPJ, by all accounts, outside of like the non basketball court stuff, is an NBA player. He's he's pretty good. And Dylan, you know, you never know what could happen with him. I, in one of these breakdowns, I pointed out the fact that the Cavs don't necessarily have the best track record with. Um, and he wasn't a second round pick. He was a first round pick, but they don't have necessarily a long history of developing guys, um, you know, homegrown talent. Uh, there is, there is always the possibility that Dylan gets shipped elsewhere or he signs elsewhere and becomes a pretty good NBA player. Um, but you just never know. So if the Cavs don't end up hitting on this pick, at least you can take solace in the fact that they're probably going to get Colin back. They might get Rubio back and they'll be able to run it back and probably be just as good, if not better than last season, even without this draft pick. Retweet to that. <laughs> and with that said, like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be included in the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said rating review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and we will personally invite you to that chat. Have a good night.